0: You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Our preacher is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller with today's Word of Hope.
1: In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, buckle up. This parable that Jesus tells is a roller coaster. (laughs) You know the warning, please keep all hands and objects inside the cart at all times. That's how it is with this text. Up and down. It's a parable about the kingdom of God, which is about the church. It's about God and about us and how he's managed for us to be together. And it starts out good. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. Whenever the scriptures want to capture joy and rejoicing, they speak of a wedding feast. In fact... To describe the joy of the resurrection of the flesh and life eternal, the scriptures use this image, the wedding feast of the Lamb. And here this is a wedding feast, but not any wedding feast. This is the wedding feast hosted by the king for his own son. So that this is not a everyday wedding. This is the biggest kind of party you could possibly imagine. With the finest of food, with the best of drink, with the most wonderful of decoration, everything would have been the best. But there is a but that comes at the end of this sentence. He sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but, but they would not come. Now, this, even at the beginning, is difficult to imagine. To be invited to this, the greatest of all feasts, to receive such an honor, and then to not accept the invitation, to not attend the feast, it's almost unimaginable. These people surely, surely are thinking highly of themselves, that they would think that they've got better things to do than to go to the wedding feast of the king's son. But there's more. Again, the king sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. The king sends out a second round of servants in in this long-suffering love and mercy and kindness of the king, to gather these people in. He even even tempts them in by telling them what's on the menu. (laughs) See? Come on. It's ready. You don't need to bring anything at all. Oh, the table is set. The wine is poured. The steaks are grilled. It's all here for you. Just come to the feast. They don't. They ignore these, the second round of invitations and they leave. One goes to his business, another goes to his field. They were too busy. They had work to do. They had more important things to attend to. This is almost unimaginable. But now, look, this parable is about to, uh, as we say, escalate quickly. <laughs> so some pay no attention to the servants. Some go to their farms. Some go to their businesses. But look at verse 6. The rest seized his servants treated them shamefully, and killed them. Wow. These invited guests take the king's servants who came to compel them to come to a wedding feast and they murdered them. Why? I mean, how could they possibly even imagine doing such a thing? And how could they think that things are going to end well after this? I mean, we know they're not. Word of the assassination gets back to the king. And, as you would expect, verse 7, the king was angry. And he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. And that's that. (laughs) I think that's what you would expect, by the way. That's what you should expect if you assassinate the king's messengers. If you murder the king's servants, especially the ones who come to you with a gracious invitation to the feast, the marriage feast of the king's son. Now, there's a great irony in this text. There is in uh, When we read the Old Testament, in the fifth book of Moses, Deuteronomy, chapter 20, uh, Moses gives a list of reasons why a man could be excused from military service. There's a list of four or five things. If a man has planted a vineyard but hasn't tasted the wine, he can be excused from going to war. If a man has built a house or bought a field but he hasn't dedicated the house or or, or viewed the field, he can be excused from military service. If a man has taken a wife... But he hasn't been married to her yet. He can, uh, he been engaged but not married. He can be excused from military service. And the excuse that these men give to the servants that come to invite them to the feast is very, very similar to the list of excuses that you could give for not being brought into war. You see, uh, these men were acting as if the invitation to the king's wedding feast, the wedding feast of the sun, was an invitation to go into battle, not an invitation to joy. It was an invitation to war, not an invitation to a feast, you see. And they're having themselves excused for this reason. And the great irony is that these men trying to avoid war end up finding war. The king's swords and the king's torches destroy everything that they love. Now, we're halfway through the parable, and it's probably good to pause and catch our breath here. This wedding feast, of course, is the church. It's the feasting on grace and goodness, uh, the goodness of God, that brings us week after week and day after day into the church for the forgiveness of our sins. That's won through the death of Jesus on the cross. And here, especially in this first part of the parable, the servants who go to invite the people into the feast are the prophets of the Old Testament who are year after year, generation after generation, calling the people of God to the worship of God, to His name, to His forgiveness, to into the church to rejoice in the word preached and the blood there shed on the altar which would bring to them the Lord's promised mercy. But they would... After it's all said and done, not listen, and the result is their destruction. I mean, we know that August 10th, A.D. 70, the, the 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 armies of Rome march through Jerusalem and tear down every single rock. Not a stone is left on another stone, and this is the fulfillment of this warning. I mean, look. If 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 nothing else, this text should recall us to the seriousness of the things of God that the hearing of and trusting in God's Word has eternal consequences. God does not have wrath for you. But if you are not sheltered under the arms of Christ, if you are not hidden in His wounds and covered in His blood, then God's wrath you will have this invitation to the feast turns so quickly to the edge of the sword. And while God will send out His messengers of peace, and does so day after day, week after week, there is a day coming when He will send out His soldiers. The day of judgment. And on that day there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I think... Lest we would think that this judgment is only for the unbelieving Pharisees and Jewish people who rejected Jesus at the time, this parable has a round two. So tighten your seatbelt again. Verse eight. Then he the king says to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, out into the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and they gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now, this is more like it. I suspect that we'd be all right if the parable ended here on a very gospelly kind of note. The king has still food and wine and all of his finery, and the son and his bride are there, and there should be guests and especially in this part of the text, we see that the Lord's mercy is found in that he's not he's not going out to invite just the great. And the good, and the clean, and the rich, and the powerful, and the well-dressed, and all of those kind of people. No. He calls into his kingdom both good and bad. Whoever's just wandering around on the street. And that's you and I. At least the bad part of that is. <laughs> so we're in the kingdom of grace, which means, which means that it is a kingdom of sinners. And I think this would be a nice place to end, but this roller coaster of a parable has to take one more dip. When the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot. Cast them into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. In the ancient world, especially for people who were traveling, the host would provide for them all of the needed garments. And this was certainly true of a wedding feast. The king's servants would be there at the door. As the people and the guests would come in, and they would take their cloak, their traveling cloak from them and put them in the coat check closet and hand them a wedding garment so that they would be dressed appropriately for the event. Some fine sort of ornate thing to wear. But there is this one fellow found in the wedding who would prefer not to put on the king's white robes, but rather to wear his own. Now, I wonder, and this would be something, I think, if we could... See this in our imagination, how it was with the king who was there walking around the feast with joy for his son and his son's bride, looking at all the wedding guests, rejoicing in this great event with this beaming smile for his kingdom, for his son, for his what he hopes to be soon grandchild out of all of this. And he's walking around with his beaming face until finally he comes upon this one man who's sitting there without a wedding garment. And how the king's face would have turned from a smile into a look of astonishment. What are you doing here? And I wonder how it must have been with this man. What in the world would have motivated this guy to be there in this wedding feast without wearing the wedding garment? I mean, the scripture doesn't tell us, so we don't know exactly. Maybe he was just too lazy to put the wedding garment on, or maybe he just didn't care. But I suspect, I suspect that it has something to do with his own pride. I mean, maybe he, unlike all these other people who were traveling around and their clothes were all dirty and messy, he had on his nice suit that he had made, just picked up an expensive one from men's warehouse or his wife made him a beautiful sort of coat of many colors or something like this. And he thinks that he's there with a, with an even better wedding garment than the king was providing. And I think that he would have expected that when the king saw him, he would have been very impressed with his robes. Wow, those are beautiful, the king would have said. I'm so glad you're here. I had to give everyone else their own clothes, but look, you brought your own and I'm so proud of you. It must have been something like this. And this was his problem. Pride. Boasting in himself. And it did not go well for this self-dressed man. This is the second set of warnings in the text for Jesus. He, Jesus, has clothed you. In the wedding garment. In your baptism. Paul writes in Galatians 3, In Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You are wrapped in the robes of Christ's righteousness. Robes that are made white by the blood of the Lamb. In other words, you are forgiven. And by this forgiveness, you are made acceptable to God. And even more, Ephesians 5. You are made beautiful to Him. But all of us are tempted to love our own stuff. To love our works. To love our work. To delight in our own accomplishments. Our own goodness. Our own reputation. Our sacrifice. Our faith. Our whatever our fields, our business, our self-declared works of righteousness and good deeds. We are tempted to the estimation that we ourselves are worthy, that the wedding feast is for the good and we are the good. Repent. This is what it is to be found in the wedding feast not wrapped in the king's robes. Put aside your boasting. Do not trust in yourself. There is an outer darkness. There is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is a hell. And it is for those who trust themselves and not Christ. Jesus wants you in His kingdom. He wants you at His wedding feast. He wants you rejoicing in His mercy. And God be praised, dear saints, this morning, this is where He has you. Because what makes you worthy is your unworthiness. What makes you worthy is that you have sin for Jesus to forgive. You have shame for Him to cover. You have filth for Him to cleanse. You might need a lot of things in this life, but you need, most of all, a Savior. And this is exactly who Jesus is, the Savior... The one who came to seek and save the lost. Your Savior. The one who bled and died and rose for you. His worthiness is yours. His kingdom is yours. His righteousness is yours. His riches and His goodness and His compassion and His faithfulness and His boundless mercy, He gives them all to you. He takes you and your filth and wraps you in the robe of His perfection, His holiness, His righteousness and His love so that when He walks around this feast this most marvelous event, and he looks at you, he smiles. Because you belong here in the company of the good and the bad, forgiven by Jesus. Amen. And may the peace of God which passes all understanding Guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.